Before we dive into this episode, I wanted to take a moment to let you know there are some discussions in it around violence, some of it graphic, and personal safety. If this is likely to be triggering for you, this may be an episode you want to consider skipping. If you are planning to listen, this is definitely one for headphones, especially around small children. Welcome to Coffee and Converse. I'm Diane and this is a show for lifestyle entrepreneurs, those people building a business to support their life instead of living to build a business. If this is you, stick around for strategies on doing business more efficiently, with more ease, and in a way that feels oh so good to you. Hey, hey, so today's a podcast guesting strategist, guesting on a podcast, talking about guesting on a podcast. (laughs) Seriously, though, Meike Sang is a sustainable visibility mentor, and we're going to talk about how to grow your visibility in a way that works for you. Hey, Meike, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. And I love how meta it all was. It was like, we got a podcast guesting strategist who's guesting on a podcast who's talking about podcast guesting. I I love it. I love it when it works out that way. Yeah. So (laughs) let's introduce everyone a little bit to your business and your business journey. All right. Yes, absolutely. I'd love to. So as you said, Diane, like I am podcast guesting strategist and the sustainable visibility mentor. And I love helping introverted female entrepreneurs to really find a business that works well for them. And yeah, my I don't know where you want to start on this business journey. We could start from any jump point. So do you have a specific part you want to hear about? <laughs> I always I'm always curious about how people got what was the turning point that got them to what they're doing now what were they doing before and then what was the turning point to get to where we are now okay there are two legs of that journey one how I got into podcast guesting and two how I birthed the sustainable visibility movement so I'll start with the podcast guesting one so this was in June 2019 when I started my own podcast the quiet rebels podcast and I, I loved like, you know, showing up consistently because before that I was very inconsistent because no one was really counting on me to produce content. So my podcast was a way for me to hold myself accountable and to become like a beacon for those who do also identify as quiet rebels in business and just want a place to kind of just be themselves. And around that time, I'm not going to lie, my referral well, it ran so dry, like nothing was coming in the pipeline. And it was because I was so complacent with, you know, getting referrals. I was like, oh, okay, I got, you know, I'm all good. But then no, I was not all good. <laughs> so my mentors at the time, they told me, okay, you need to guest on podcasts. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do that. I have no idea how, <laughs> but you know, I'm the kind of gal that if you don't, if I don't know how, then I will figure out how. So I like to go big or go home a lot of the time, not all the time, but I really thrive well on challenges. So I challenged myself to pitch to 101 podcasts in 30 days. In 30 days? Yes, your eyes just like, like no one can see your eyes widening, but they just went huge just a minute ago. Like I'm, I'm thinking of my own podcasting sprints and I will challenge myself to maybe do two a day <laughs> okay. because there's a lot of work that goes into mm. pitching a podcast it's not as simple as writing an email exactly. which some people might not know so that's why my eyes are like sources so 101 in 30 days yes and I will I'll be completely transparent here um, I don't recommend anyone do that ever <laughs> and it's because I personalize all of these pitches so yes you're right it's not just writing an email it's not a copy and pasting 
I did the research, listened to a couple of podcast episodes and, you know, followed them on social, replied to their Insta stories, all the things. So you bet your honey buns that that sat to my capacity. So when we talked about, when we talk about sustainable visibility later, this is what not to do. You need to be aware of your capacity. But anyhow, I I went for it anyway, because I didn't have much client work, to be quite honest. So I, I could do that. And there was a point when one of my mastermind peers, he was like, Nikki, do you have time to do client work? And I was like, nope, <laughs> I don't. I'm too busy pitching, following up, doing interviews. But anyhow, it gave me the momentum that I did need at the time because I had no other marketing channels working for me. So I suddenly became a accidental expert in podcast guesting because suddenly all of my peers, because I was in the copywriting space at the time, they were like, Nikki, how did you do it? So I wound up launching a program all about teaching the how. And it was during that specific launch, Diane, where one of my other mastermind peers, you can tell I'm a lot of, part of a lot of masterminds, um, she referred me a one-on-one client who wanted help, like me to pitch for him. And I thought, okay, this is interesting. So I suddenly added on a new service that I didn't expect to do. But here's my second leg of the journey. So I had been pitching like hundreds of podcasts for my clients to a point where I needed to actually hire some team members to help me fulfill the actual pitch retainers. And it got to a point where I started noticing a pattern. Now, the clients that I had, that I served, like they, they were great. Don't get me wrong. It's not the client. But I started noticing some prospects who were interested in working with me. And I was asking them, you know, oh, why do you want to be on podcasts and all the things? And bearing in mind that I have the perspective, not as someone who's just been on podcasts, but I also have my own. And my pitch methods are actually refined after asking podcasters, what do you look for in a pitch? So it's been like validated by my own podcasting experience, my own guesting experience for my clients and asking my podcast peers. And the thing is, what I noticed, Diane, is they start saying, I don't really care about the details. Just get me on as many as possible. That was like the resounding message that I kept seeing creep up. And I realized, you know what? I don't want to perpetuate this. Me offering a done for you service is perpetuating a behavior that I don't align with. Because podcast guesting is incredibly intimate. You and I were having this, you know, coffee and converse conversation. It's really intimate and personal. And for someone to just want to reap the benefits, it's one thing to be involved, but not in the weeds. But for someone to just want nothing to do with it, they just care about the prestige and having their ego rubbed about how many podcasts they get on. I didn't want to perpetuate that. And you could feel that on the other side as a podcaster. as well like I've had the pitches from I mean I feature women on my platform Mm -hmm. and I get pitched by guys who will send me their resume all about something that's totally unconnected like you haven't Mm. even listened to the intro Mm. of my podcast let alone an episode when you get a really impersonal pitch from someone I don't want to spend half an hour with you yeah, I mean, like, it's it's fine to want to guest on podcasts, you know, in a strategic way. So, of course, you're building your business. But in my, from my experience and, you know, as someone who's become an accidental expert in this, it's like, it's fine to be strategic, but that can't be your priority. Your priority needs to be service first, self-importance second. And the thing is, what I found with a lot of people is that they, is obviously the other way around. And, like, I received a pitch today and I, I get quite pissed off, to be honest, when because I'm like, yo, I'm a podcast guesting strategist. I help people like I teach people how to pitch podcasts for a living. You clearly don't know anything that I value. You don't know what I do. 
otherwise you wouldn't send me this and yeah I'm so on my soapbox right now <laughs> but these are one of the few things that I'm going to get my soapbox on. <laughs> it's a little insulting right it's a little disrespectful yeah. of your time and of your platform it's like you're doing them a favor mm. like oh I'm prepared to be a guest on your show aren't you lucky <laughs> Oh my god, that what you just described is, is how it, that is the feeling I get. I, I know that there are agencies that book new authors, like they've just launched a book. And I know that they do something called podcast tours. And I get it is to promote their book. But again, it needs to be service first, self importance second. And I can tell when it's literally what you just said, because I, I received an Instagram pitch once, and I'm not against them. But I am against them when they're like this, when they're like, hey, I've just launched a new book that your audience is going to benefit so much from. Like, when can you have me on the show? And I'm like, hold up, dude. <laughs> Hang on a second. Right. So so you kind of hit that point where you were like, these are the kind of these are almost the kind of pictures people want me to send to get them on anything, regardless of whether they would connect with that person's audience or with that person. And so is that when you went, okay, I'm out of done for you? Yeah. Pretty much. And I, I just want to say that, you know, done for you can work. It's just not something that personally aligns with me. I have a lot of friends who have unfortunately been burned by, you know, with some agencies who do the booking. And there's always a danger. If they guarantee you bookings, sometimes they'll do whatever they can to get you on anything. And that's evident because when I get these pictures from some PR agencies, not all, some PR agencies, they're completely misaligned. And I, feel so angry because I think your client is paying you hundreds if not thousands of dollars a month and you're sending me this are you kidding me and I, I just didn't want any part of that so that's why right now like I teach people how to book themselves on podcasts and right now I'm working on a certification program where I train internal team members when a CEO wants to like be out of the weeds but they still want to be involved enough because they care about the relationships they build and that's where like I'm starting to morph into this sustainable visibility movement. That was honestly an accidental birth. I did not think that it would come out the way that it has. But in the mid 2020, I really noticed that I actually see visibility through the lens of trauma. And this is a big section. And I'm literally like, as of today, as of this recording, Today is the day I start my trauma-sensitive leadership certification because it's so important for me to understand and to hold space in a safe way when I'm actually qualified to hold that space. For people who, they actually have the strategies, Diane. They, they know what to do. They've got the how-to. They've got the step-by-step. -step, but why is it that they're still not doing it? And they have been dismissed so much by the industry saying, like, oh, your, it's just your imposter complex. Oh, it's just because you're afraid. It's just because you're not taking action. It's just because X, Y, Z. And there's me thinking, hold on a second, because when I'm visible, I need to constantly check that I'm safe, physically safe, safe on the internet. Things like not sharing your location. I don't tag my family members inside of my pictures when I post them on Instagram because I don't want people to find them. These are things that we don't often think about, but it's because we're not taught to be safe first. We are taught to just follow the strategy, ignore your instincts, because this is how you get results. I'm like, yeah, you might get the results, but what about the consequences that could come about if you haven't like made yourself you know, safe from predators? Has anyone ever thought about that? You know, Growing up in South Africa, safety is a huge thing for me. And I'm very conscious of not, if I'm on vacation, you know, back in the days when we could take vacations, usually not posting 
where I am until I've left the place. Yes, me too. One of the first stories I heard in online business was somebody in the coaching space who tagged themselves on a flight or something. And mid-air, someone came up to them on the plane and was like, hi, I'm such a huge fan. And at that point in time, if that person is in a good position, great. But that can go multiple different ways, right? So I think I'm super aware of it. And I always feel like kind of the Debbie Downer when I'm texting my friends going, please don't post where you're going and please don't do all of these things. But you're right, it is a real safety issue that I think a lot of people don't think about. Yeah. And especially for women, because I'm here in the UK, there was a recent incident in the news where a woman was attacked on her way home and it sparked a huge, huge, huge conversation about women needing to be safe. And there was a lot of awareness, you know, for um, men because like I saw this in the comments. It was like, oh, I don't actually give it a second thought if I want to take a walk at night. And then there's the women also saying like, there's a reason why we have to like have keys in our pocket, like ready to strike, why we can't have our music on full blast or why we put, why we have a friend on the phone with us, even if it's fake, you know, there's a reason why we do all those things is because we are hyper sensitive and hyper conscious of our safety. That isn't as much of a privilege and I just want to like I know this is a podcast for women listeners so I know that we're gonna I know this is going to be okay but for any men who might stumble across this conversation I'm not pointing the finger I am simply expanding awareness for all of us because some women are also not aware of you know the things to be careful about you know just so that they can feel safe in their own skin yeah, I definitely don't think even women being so hyper-aware physically have translated that hyper-awareness into the digital space. Yes. yes. I, I think people underestimate how easy it is to find you from social media or whatever, and you don't know who's looking. So when you're physically, you can feel the person's three steps behind you, even if it's mm. innocent and you're prepared, but you don't know who's looking at your stuff. So your control of it is so limited, but we don't think about it. But how do we then get visible for our business in a way that's safe and the way that feels good to us and that doesn't require us to tick all the boxes that everyone's telling us we need to tick? Because I feel like visibility is this huge monster that when someone says to me, I need to get visible, my brain goes into a checklist. Social media, do they have YouTube? Do they have a podcast? Are they guesting? Here are the 200 things you could be doing. And if somebody's not going to pitch 101 <laughs> podcasts which again I don't recommend anyway. <laughs> yeah. I kind of can't get over that <laughs> yeah. where do they where do they begin how did how did you discover your sustainable visibility yeah so for me personally I realized what it was like to be seen before I was ready so today I just posted a reel on my Instagram about the difference between exposure versus being seen and I'm just going to quickly tangent on that for a second because when I get emails from people who clearly don't know me and they don't actually have my consent to email to me, <laughs> they're like, like, oh, you know, if you do this, you can get this exposure. And I'm like, when has anyone ever said I want to be exposed? I'm pretty sure like next to no one wants to be exposed. But it's a word that has been like used interchangeably with having reach in your business. That's a very different thing right? Because exposure, that word, it feels very violating. It feels like it's without your consent. That's really what it is. Yeah. It's like someone's gone into your photos and sold it to TMZ. It feels like you're being exploited. That's that normally like 
the kind of emotions that come around, you know, that word exposure versus being seen. Seen is with your consent. Seen is with your, like, with your intention, right? And you are choosing who you're putting yourself in front of. That is why, um, because in the beginning, I, trust me, I understand what it's like to want to jump on every visibility opportunity. Even if it's not perfectly aligned, a part of you is going to think, oh, but I need this right now. I need this. I get it. Yes, it might work. It really might. But you also put yourself at the risk of being in front of people who actually don't have your best interest at heart. It's not aligned. You're going to, you might find yourself with misaligned clients that you take on because you have to. So again, we all go through that. We all go through that. It's almost like a rite of passage to know what we don't want when we've worked with clients and when we've breached our own boundaries in order to put food on the table. I get it. We all have that. If you are in a position to be more selective with the opportunities that come your way, please do, because this is where I got started, Diane. I started thinking, okay, how do I want to show up in which capacity? So having my own podcast was the perfect antidote to my introverted self, because I am more of an introvert um, than I am an extra. I can switch back and forth a little bit, but I definitely know (laughs) I have an introverted core. So because with blogging, like I actually used to be an ex-copywriter, so it, it should come naturally, but it's not the same thing. Writing, it didn't bring out the best in me. I, it brought out my perfectionist and it was the same with video. I had, a, I do have a YouTube channel. It is not active. It's still out there, but I ain't posting anymore. <laughs> and it's because I had that perfectionist monster that kept attacking me every time. It was like, how's your hair look today, Mike? How's your makeup? What about your clothes? How about your voice? How's the lighting? Oh, shoot. Cloud just went by. Retake. <laughs> how's your background is the room tidy exactly yes there's so much and it it just got in the way so for me podcasting was a way to be more expressive because I am a verbal processor so that was one thing but before I started showing up I did have things like legal stuff so I needed a you know a privacy policy I needed disclaimers I needed terms of use all on my website so if there was any breach of intellectual property like as of right now I'm going through an intellectual property breach. Someone stole my content. I'm still working through it. And I realized, ah, if I'm too visible, some people will start copying me. So I need to protect myself from that. There'll be at least one person listening to this thinking, you can't think like that. You have to go from a place of, well, they won't be able to deliver it the way you deliver it. But I can see it from your perspective. And people are like, hey, do I want to be this giant thing that then everybody is trying to take from? Or do I want to be more considered about where I show up and how I show up? Yeah. And don't get me wrong. I understand that. I do know the fact that no one is going to deliver my content the way that I do, because I know where mine's rooted from right so even if they try to copy they won't necessarily get the same results etc but that's not the point the point is that if they copy and I don't do anything about it I'm enabling them from copying other people Mm. and that's also going to take away from their own genius that they could have because the people who copy often don't have the confidence in themselves to get the results themselves so they try to leverage off other people in a similar space to them so if anything me taking legal action is a way to remind them like hey you have your own genius. It's a real shame that it had to come to this point that you felt that you needed to copy someone else's stuff word for word, you know, and pass it off as your own. But, you know, have this be a, you know, a teaching point for you that in order for you to not experience this legal action where you're the person who's being called out on it, that is your responsibility to build yourself up and not take from others. And 
yeah, a part of me did think, a part of me did want to shrink. Like, oh, maybe I shouldn't be so big because I don't want this to happen. No, mm -hmm. like I take legal action and I also know what to do to protect myself in the future. And I also stand by the fact that I know that there are clients and customers who want to learn this thing in the way that I teach it. So I'm not going to stop serving them, you know, but some things do need to be done. It's not a fun experience, but I think you have a really much more balanced <laughs> approach to it, I would say, than most people. If somebody stole my stuff, I think I don't know that I would be I'm going to you know, take legal action against you because ultimately this will also help you. I would be like, I'm going to take legal action against you from just sheer rage. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, they, so I'm like, very impressed. It, it, trust me. Okay, let, let, I am not a saint. Let, let's just say that because <laughs> I, I give myself permission to have a pity party or a petty party because we all have the right to have our feelings, right? Like their feelings are meant to be felt. That's why they're called feelings. And so, I in a private, safe space is normally at home with my partner or with my journal. I normally like let everything out. Like I'm not being considerate of anyone else apart from my feelings in that moment. I give myself that space just to be because when I found out what happened, I was actually shaking with anger and I'm not someone who gets angry very often. It's extremely rare, but I was shaking with anger and I was crying and shouting at the same time. Bless my partner. She, she held up a pillow for me. She's like, Meke, <laughs> go for it. Because like we do martial arts together, but I wasn't going to hit her, obviously, if I was hitting the pillow. Because I needed a way to get all this excess energy outside of my body. And I needed to have my thoughts outside somewhere, whether it's me verbal processing it or processing it through my journal. I needed to do that first before I could have a calm head. I also called in my lawyer friend. I also consult my team to ask them to give me their perspective so that it's not just me acting on my own feelings. And so, you know, I have several filters before any communication passes. So I think that's how you can, you know, balance that. I, I would need several of those strategies, I think. <laughs> so how do you not shrink from that, though? You said, you know, there is the temptation to be like, if I were smaller, people wouldn't notice mm. and therefore they wouldn't steal from me. I mean, people have a multitude of reasons for wanting to be smaller from mm -hmm. things that have happened to them in the past, to things people have said to them, to not wanting to be seen, to not wanting to be too big. So how do you get that visibility without trying all the things, but also without feeling really uncomfortable doing it? Mm. Yeah, because, you know, as, again, as someone who has been through trauma, like I won't go into that story, that's, that's a completely different story. But as someone who's been through that, I'm naturally hypervigilant. So it's like, okay, how could this affect me? How could this affect other people, et cetera, et cetera. So when it comes to the shrinking side of things, I, I do let myself shrink in private quarters. Like I just, whether it means a couple of hours, a couple of minutes, a couple of days, however I need to process it, I do. Because it's important not to kind of like suppress that and just shrug it off. Because if something matters that deeply to you, it won't go away even if you want it to, it needs to be addressed. So sometimes that might mean speaking to friends. It might mean speaking to professional. Like I'm raising my hand here. This is the first time I've said this on the podcast. I've recently, you know, sought help in therapy because I need some things to process because I know some of those things that are unprocessed, it will affect my clients along the line if I don't address it. So, and like my clients, like we have very open conversations in my group program. Like a lot of us do have therapists. 
And it's great. We love how we can normalize the mental health conversation. So giving full permission and feeling validated in our feelings is so important. I think so much of what I talk to people about is like doing the thing that feels good for you. And, Mm. you know, when you were talking about physically protecting yourself, I think there's that energy and emotional protection as well of like your YouTube. I can't only imagine like how much it would have taken you to be like, okay, is everything good? And then you're nitpicking over every little like frame of yourself. That's not healthy for you either emotionally. Mm. Right. So I think visibility, you're right, is so connected to all the things that make you want to not be seen. We don't even begin to like think about that. We just try to do all the tactics. Yes. And to speak to that when so that is what I do when I want to shrink. But here's how I rise above that after. So it's not ignoring what I need. It's not ignoring how I'm feeling. It's not ignoring my fears. I lean very deeply into my fears because I want, I want to understand what they're trying to tell me. And I've actually, I've worked with a hypnotherapist in the past, and he's really helped me to bridge that gap between me and my subconscious fears. And long story short, I make friends with my fear. This is what I help my clients do. We characterize their fears like into whatever it shows up for them. For one of my clients, it was the Dementor, like from Harry Potter. For me personally, it's like the Pokemon Ghastly. It's like a, which if you don't know what that is, it's kind of like, it's a ghost Pokemon. It's, it's like, a dark purple ball with purple flames and it's got really mean eyes (laughs) right (laughs) so I I literally picture Ghastly and then over time when I start listening to him okay Ghastly what what are you telling me although for me I called mine Rocky (laughs) because Ghastly is a levitating fireball right but when I listen to him what happens is that his character physically shifts it shifts from a floating purple ball into a solid rock that can no longer levitate it's got this really cute little arms and feet right mm-hmm. and that transition can only happen when i'm listening to him what is he trying to tell me because all fears are trying to protect us some of mm-hmm. them some of them are really going to help us and some of us will tell us if there is something deeper to address so again if you need to support yourself with mental health there is no shame around that because raising my hand right here you can't physically <laughs> you can only yeah. hear my voice but i am like diane will tell you i'm physically yep. raising my hand here but here's how i shine like how how go from shrink to shine right to being visible is because i realize that if i don't who wins i take my clients and and anybody actually who you know has this mindset shift of like oh my god what you know what what if i don't do this you know that when they want Mm -hmm. to shy away i take them through this golden field of visualization if you're in a position right now please follow along so if you close your eyes with me and i want you to imagine you're standing in the middle of a golden field so this could be a wheat field whatever like i just think of a field of gold like a meadow it's beautiful so i'm looking around admiring the environment and then i look forward to see there's a there's a person standing in front of me and she looks quite sad actually and I ask her is everything all right are you okay she looks at me and says why didn't you help me at that moment I'm confused and not quite sure what she's saying and then I turn around in another direction there's someone else She had a very similar look, and I dared ask her, are you okay? She looks up at me and says, why didn't you help me? And before I know it, whether it's 
north, south, east or west, everywhere I turn, suddenly it's a sea of people. I can't even see the gold meadow anymore. I take a deep breath in. And I ask one more time, are you okay? And they all say in unison, why didn't you help me? See that, Diane? I physically have to take myself through this visualization sometimes because I realize that I, I know that I am not someone's savior. None of us should ever be saviors, in my opinion, because I think it creates a quite an unhealthy dependency on us for responsibility that's not ours to take. But I take myself through that visualization to realize that there are some people who do want to learn something specifically from us. It's not just the content, it's the context of delivery, it's who we are. And that's what happens if we stay shrunk. It's okay to shrink temporarily, but if you're really here to make a difference, you'll know that there is something bigger than you. And that's why you need to take care of yourself first so you can have the capacity to help other people. Yeah, that was, it's actually a really powerful visual. I actually felt the gut punch. Right. And I was like, oh, okay. We've we've had our moment. We've shrunk. We've punched a cushion. We've screamed. We've raged. We've done whatever. <laughs> then we've taken ourselves through the visualization and we now see all the people who need us and we're ready to shine. I now want to do social media posts five times a day, guest on 101 podcasts. <laughs> I have a YouTube channel. Like, how do I then know which direction to shine in? Because if I try to shine in all of them, then I kind of become like a mirror ball of just like speckles. But if I focus in, that has a lot more impact. So number one, it's important to realize what you're looking for. Are you looking to reach a small amount of people very deeply? Or are you? do you need to reach the foundational level for a lot of people? Because for example, if we have a core space business, we're probably going to need more volume, right? But for someone like myself, I only have VIP days. I have a high touch mentorship program for sustainable visibility. They are very high touch. I don't need a big volume. So for me, it makes sense to think of the strategies that are going to deepen relationships. So for me, what that means is podcasting, having my own, being on other podcasts, because I love communicating in this medium. It doesn't take up a lot of capacity because it's something I really enjoy. And it does the job that I'm looking for. It's building that intimate trust and relationship with people. Either it's deepening one I already have, mm -hmm. or people who have yet to know about me they've discovered me today by listening to this podcast and suddenly say oh I like what this make a person has to say let me see so that's where we start with like knowing what we're looking for we're we looking more for volume or we're looking more for depth mm -hmm. and neither is wrong I just want to say like we all have our business models that works for our lifestyles and then as we move forward it's like okay which one is going to yield the most return that's not going to sap my capacity so one that saps my capacity is summits, actually. Like, I like summits, but it takes a lot out of me. It's often a video conversation. There's a lot of promotional stuff to do before and after. And naturally, that's a part of the process. But I realize I can't be a, a part of a summit every month. I really can't. I can do podcast interviews probably like two to three times a month because I also need to know what capacity I have on the lead up to the opportunity. Mm-hmm. And the after effect, because I don't think a lot of people think about the after. Think about how much energy it takes for a plane to take off a runway, mm -hmm. right? Most people just think about getting in the air. 
They don't think about yeah. what happens when they need to land, i.e. when these visibility opportunities happen, do you have the systems to support the volume that will come your way? Everybody, I think, preps for the opportunity. So they're there mm -hmm. for the takeoff. They're then in the moment. But very often what I see is people booking the next thing too quickly yes. or thinking, oh, I've got this thing. And then, oh, it's fine. I've still got like two hours. And then realizing they've got off something and even a podcast interview. I love chatting to people, but I still need a cup of tea yes, and a moment <laughs> before like my brain goes back into, okay, let me go work on this thing now. And so I think even that kind of effort of just landing the plane to start with, before volume even comes at you, people completely underestimate. And that is what makes visibility unsustainable. If you haven't taken into account the capacity you have, not just to do the visibility opportunity, but what happens after. So that's why in my program, we do the inner work first. And the second phase is setting up your business systems to fully receive. So you're psychologically ready, your business is ready, so that when you do the visibility opportunities, you have everything to fully receive it because we actually don't need a lot. I think we're indoctrinated with the idea that we constantly need something. But like I had a client yesterday, a VIP day client. She asked me, how many podcasts should I pitch to? And I said, how many podcasts do you want to be on? What do you have the capacity for? Not just to do the interview, but to promote it. And then that completely changed her perspective. She was like, oh, and like she, she brought her team member on and she was like, oh, yeah, that's very true. We still got to promote it because come on, y'all, like, don't be the kind of podcast guest that just shows up and doesn't do anything when the, the episode goes live. We've all had guests who have ghosted us. So please don't be that person. Be the person who stays for the conversation, stays in touch. And maybe there is the potential for future collaborations because that's what I love about podcast guesting. It's not the end game. It's the, it's the door that opens. I want to flag something that you said in case someone missed it, is that you talked about being psychologically ready for the opportunity. Because yes. I remember like the first time I guessed it on a podcast and I remember getting off the podcast and it was kind of like I had blacked out. I mm. couldn't think through anything that I had said, you know, was I even coherent? You have all of this stuff. And I remember the day that it went live. I remember waking up and because we're in the UK, ahead of the US, you get the episodes first. And I remember listening to the episode as fast as I could get it to play so that I could quickly check everything that I had said. Mm. And so this whole opportunity from the minute it finished until the minute I could check what I had said was just a source of complete anxiety for me. Mm. And so when you're talking about that psychological readiness, it is that readiness to be seen, not yeah. just by the person who's interviewing you or the person who's interviewing you for the summit or whatever it is, that capacity for like, you don't control who sees it. Yeah, You're not sharing it on your private Facebook to like your friends and family and you know who's in the list. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a big piece of it as well. Isn't it, it is. Do you want to go pitch Amy Porterfield to be on her podcast and be seen by that many people? It's a capacity I hadn't thought of until this conversation. Yeah. And you know, I think especially for women, especially for introverts, but not exclusive to capacity is everything. That's what makes a business sustainable or one that's going to lead you to a burnout. Because the amount of people who've told me, Meike, I've done summits and I literally want to sleep for three months. Or like when they're doing a launch, a launch is a very high visible time, right? A lot of people just want to take a vacation afterwards or they don't even want to do the fulfillment because it's so exhausted. And when I see that, it's like, it's because you didn't know your capacity. Not a lot of people talk about it. We want the result of getting X amount of money, having the six-figure launch. Like we're taught or you need, in order to have a successful launch, 
you need six figures. And do you know what? For me, a successful launch is by the end of it, I'm excited to serve my clients who come in. I still have enough capacity to eat dinner with my family. Like those things matter to me. And I, because I love my business, I love who I get to serve. I'm so grateful for every person who comes through my door. I am. And in order to have that maintained gratitude, that sustained way of being, capacity first, safety first. It's such an interesting flip of the capacity perspective. It's actually saying, forget about what everybody else is telling you to do and start with you and then work from there. Yes. I love that. This has been such an interesting conversation. No, it's gone so many different directions. I love it. (laughs) People are going to be like, I never knew podcast guesting was this deep. So (laughs) where can people get started with your methodology, with understanding how you think about podcast guesting so that they don't get trapped into paying an agency too much money or doing really bad pitching on their own? Thank you so much for asking this. And when you, because I remember like when you promoted the fact that we were having this conversation today about podcast guesting, I realized that, oh, actually, we didn't really touch on it very much. (laughs) (laughs) But I've got you all covered because I wanted to make it very clear that my idea of what it means to pitch a podcast isn't purely my own projection of my own experience or my experience of being a podcaster myself. That is why I have an amazing resource for you. It's called Be our podcast guest and you can get it at 25experts.makeafan.com and this is where I brought in 25 experts each of them are expert podcasters and I asked them what is your one out of the box piece of advice for someone who wants to guest on podcasts all of these podcasters are telling you their unique angles and you're going to find patterns of what podcasters want there are some that are going to be a bit more specific to that podcast there's pretty much a roadmap as to how they like to be pitched but ultimately, it is a accumulation of the collective voice of podcasters. One thing is for sure, and I, this is a tidbit. One thing is for sure, you can never go wrong if it's personalized and relevant. I will make sure that that is shared in the show notes so people can find it easily. Thank you so much. So to finish up, I always like to ask a couple of questions of all of my mm. guests. First up, what is your number one lifestyle boundary for your business? I like to make the distinction between what it means to be free versus being available. Oh, tell me more. (laughs) So this mainly applies to home, but it also applies to business. So I'm going to do the home version first and you'll see how it reflects in business. So for example, every day when I have calls, especially ones that require like a bit more internet. So for example, a call like this for a podcast interview, et cetera, et cetera. I take a screenshot of my schedule and I send it to my family, the ones who I live with. So it's my partner, partner, sister, et cetera. And I mark it red for the ones who, for the calls that require absolute quiet and more internet bandwidth. And then I noticed at one point, my partner, bless her, she was like, oh, are you free at this point? Because I see you've got no calls. And I said, no. And she's like, but on the schedule though, you don't have a call. And I said, that's true. I don't have a call. But my business isn't just me being on calls. It's also me doing admin. It's also me writing copy. All the things that aren't marked on this calendar. I will tell you when I'm available. And it's not right now, but it is at this point. You know, So I'll give a very specific time frame of when they can expect me to be available for them at home. So I'm very firm at home, but also in my business. Like I can't take more than like, like three calls is a good number. Four is stretching it a little bit. And I also need to take into account the type of calls they are. So for a podcast interview, 
I'm active for a training that I'm not running, then I'm listening. So I'm again aware of the different capacities <laughs> that each activity like creates for me. So I have very, very firm boundaries around when I'm free versus when I'm available. I think a lot of those in business, you learn by making the mistake once. And for me, it's when I do a podcast batch day and I go over four interviews, I have no voice for the fifth mm. interview. Like it's completely gone. And it makes for a really bad interview because I'm trying not to cough. But then <laughs> I'm also so stressed. And then it takes till the next day for my voice to come back. So I can't do anything else. So, But I only learned that by scheduling podcast days that had too many people in it. Yes. By thinking, oh, I just like to talk to people. That's the only thing I have to care about. No. <laughs> so I like that again, available versus free. Okay. And what is the worst piece of cookie cutter advice you've got as an entrepreneur? When I was very, like, I started my business straight out of university. So I was 22 at the time. And okay, full transparency. My first business failed. Okay, <laughs> Actually, my first two slash three businesses failed. The one I'm in right now is pretty successful. Anyway, back then I was a oh, wait, my business card is right on my desk. I have my like six-year-old business card, the Emotional Eating Transformation Coach. That was my okay. that was my title at the time. So I trained holistic nutrition, all the things. Anyway, I needed to build my network. I needed to, you know, position myself as an expert. I did have the credentials, but I didn't have the reputation yet because I didn't have experience because I was new. So a, I call him a shadow mentor because I didn't pay him to be a mentor. And he was kind of like the shadow version of my mentor I did pay. So he came up to me once and said, oh, Meike, to improve your positioning on Facebook, accept every thread request that you have. So you max out at 5,000 because when they reach that 5,000 mark, they try to add you that, oh, sorry, you, you know, this person has maxed their friend limit. Then they have the option to follow you. That's how you position yourself. And it was actually then, Diane, that I ignored my intuition as a woman because I started having secret conversations with women who also got the same advice. I was like, hey, there's this guy who, again, not men aren't evil. It just so happens that the pattern I've seen, it has been men. They send me inappropriate messages. And I mean of a sexual nature. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to compromise my sense of safety, even if it's cyber safety, just for that bloody positioning. It's not real. It's fake. So yeah, the worst advice I've received that has actually been a genuine threat to my safety is accepting all these friend requests, no matter who they are, just so that you can get maxed out. Yeah, I have to say I have had that advice mm -hmm. and I have never followed that advice because it felt so violating to me. I will not accept a friend request if we have not met. If I do not mm -hmm. know who you are, so I will gather everybody that I've met in an event and bring them into Facebook, sure. But I will not connect with you if if I don't know you. LinkedIn, sure, go wild. Connect with me on LinkedIn <laughs> to your heart's content. But Facebook, where there are potential personal photos, where somebody could be tagging me in something, where like friends and family reside, mm, to me, from a safety perspective, especially if you post about your family or your kids mm. or anything like that on Facebook, you forget who's on your friend list. Then you got yeah. 5,000 people, you've got no chance remembering who's on your friend list. Exactly. And actually a long time ago, when I actually started becoming more visible, I actually removed a lot of my family from my Facebook <laughs> that they were like, yo, Meike, why aren't we friends anymore? And I was like, trust me, it's for, your, it's for you. And also for, because I don't want people to find my family because they didn't have a choice, you know, of whether to be found or not. So I don't want any, 
I want to re- reduce anything or prevent anything from my end, you know? Yeah. That like that stuff is so important to me. So like I like removed all of my like beloved friends and family and like some friends are business owners, so that's a little bit different. But yeah, especially my immediate family, I removed them all. I blocked them all as well so they can't add me back. And also I locked a lot of the photos on Facebook as well that used to be like from my teenage years, for example. Yeah. All of that is so important. Like I I don't think I can stress it enough. This this whole conversation has been about like cyber safety. Yeah. To be quite honest, yeah. Which I really hope is 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 a confronting conversation. So for anyone who's listening to this point, we so appreciate you for being here and listening to this because it's not an easy topic to digest but it is an important one to have. Yeah, and I think it's an important one to have when people are seeking visibility is to think about what does that level of visibility mean to you? Do you really want 10,000 followers? How does that feel? Does it feel expensive or does it feel terrifying? And is there a reason? My first thought is like, I don't have the capacity to have 10,000 followers right now because I respond to all my DMs. <laughs> and I have like like just under 2,000 followers right now on Instagram, but I have such rich, beautiful conversations in yeah. my DMs. So I can't imagine like 5Xing that. I'm like, oh God, <laughs> I won't be able to respond to everyone. By then I might yeah. have a team to help me with that. But anyway, I digress. <laughs> but yeah, there are there are the consequences energetically and safety-wise and psychologically for you being that visible. So I think this conversation has been super interesting and incredibly helpful. I don't think enough people talk about it. So thank you for sharing that and sharing so openly about your business and your story. I know people are going to want to add to those 2000 and come and have a DM <laughs> conversation with you. So is Instagram the best place for them to connect with you? It is going to be Instagram, so you can find me at Make Sang. It's M-A-I-K-E-T-S-A-N-G. And I know that my name is not the easiest to remember, so the beloved Diane will put my <laughs> link in the show notes, I'm sure. If you want to have a conversation about safety and visibility, I'm always for it. So please do DM me on Instagram. Like, let's start that conversation and continue it. Awesome. Thank you so much, Make This has been fabulous. Thank you so much for having me. If you enjoyed this week's episode, please head to iTunes to subscribe and leave us a review.